0: Hello, everybody.
1: Turn this up in my headphones, Charles.
0: Turning it up. Hello, 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 everybody, one and all. Welcome to yet another very exciting episode of the Friends Talking Fantasy podcast. We just got off of a recording with BookTuber extraordinaire Sandra Gibbons
1: yes we did it was a total blast having a chat with sandra we're so so grateful that she came on and i i really enjoyed this discussion of book four of the wheel of time that's shadow rising it's uh yeah and so cool to have sandra gibbons on she's as charles said a booktuber, which means that you can find her making videos on YouTube under the name Sandra Gibbons. So highly recommend checking her out. She's making great videos on fantasy content. And uh, yeah, give her a subscribe over there. That's right.
0: She's also on Twitter as well, at Sandra Gibbons. We get into a lot of conversation on the FTF account over there with Sandra. So definitely follow her there as well. Before we get into the interview, let's do a quick uh, spoiler warning, right, Dune?
1: Yes. So we will, in this episode, be having a no-holds, barred conversation about the Shadow Rising. Yeah, I've never dropped that one before. (laughs) I got to keep it fresh. Yeah, yeah, I appreciate it. So we will not hold back from having spoilers in this conversation. We'll be getting into depth in book four of The Wheel of Time. So if you haven't gotten up to book four yet, The Shadow Rising by Robert Jordan, then now is a good time to turn this down in your headphones if you don't want to have anything spoiled we will not go i mean i haven't even read past the shadow rising yet i'm a first time reader of the will of time so we will not spoil anything beyond book four all right
0: All right, well, (laughs) thank you for that spoiler warning, Dylan, and without further delay, let's get into our book discussion of Book 4 of The Wheel of Time, The Shadow Rising by Robert Jordan, featuring BookTuber extraordinaire Sandra Gibbons. Okay, we're recording for Wheel of Time 4 with Sandra, so we'll just have a quick moment of silence, and then we'll get right into it. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another very exciting episode of the Friends Talking Fantasy podcast. My name is Charles, and with me today, as always, is my lifelong friend and co-host, Dylan.
1: I'm ready to talk some fantasy with my friends, Charles.
0: Yes, we are talking with friends, the plural today, because with us, we have booktuber extraordinaire Sandra Gibbons.
2: Hey, hey, hey. i happy to be here. Thank you, guys.
0: The the honor is all ours. Sandra, thank you so much for being here. We're excited to talk Wheel of Time for The Shadow Rising by Robert Jordan. But before we get into it, Sandra, would you like to just take a quick moment to introduce yourself to everyone more about you?
2: Yeah, um, Sandra Gibbons, again, um, I'm basically just a fantasy fangirl any kind of franchise it could be video games like witcher final fantasy i mean i can geek out about all of it. i think i've had a couple conversations with you dylan about it but yeah um epic fantasy, romantic fantasy, YA fantasy. Like I I can dig all of it and gush about all of it.
0: (laughs) Oh, you said Final Fantasy. Yes. (laughs) Dylan's excited.
1: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. yeah. Sandra and I have had a few exchanges about Final Fantasy over on Twitter and definitely give Sandra a follow if you haven't already because she's – super fun to interact with on there. And I I always have an awesome time when we (laughs) chat on there. So yeah. yeah. Yeah, And subscribe on your handle over there, Sandra. What? Your handle over on Twitter. Oh yeah. My handle
2: is just Sandra Gibbons.
0: Nice. All right. And like the title suggests, we're talking about the fourth book of wheel of time today, the shadow rising and uh, Sandra, if I'm correct, this is your second time reading this book. Is that right?
2: Second time. Yep. Got I listen to audio and, and read it each time.
0: Fantastic. It's my second time as well, and it's Dylan's first time. So this is very exciting. We have got a lot of different perspectives in the mix here. So let's go ahead and get right into it. The first thing that I... Th- think we should talk about is this idea of how The Shadow Rising like, stands out compared to books one through three. And I know, Dylan, when we ended book three, you were like, I'm excited to keep going with Wheel of Time. You know, it ended in this exciting way, and, and I'm ready to jump into book four. And book four is just so different from books one through three. And I was wondering, yeah. Dylan, as a first-time perspective, how was your experience going through it?
1: I would describe The Shadow Rising as... The book I'm most ambivalent about so far <laughs> in this series, in terms of having the strongest emotions in either direction, like both directions, I would say at times I was intensely frustrated for sure, and I was uh, Sandra, you know, from a few of our exchanges, some things that uh frustrated me about some things like Rand's character at yeah. the beginning I'm of not to it laugh all <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, some stuff definitely was, I'd go so far as to say distressing for me. And uh, (laughs) then I would say on the other side of things, this had some of my favorite moments, had some of the best character building, uh, especially for uh, Elaine, I would say, which we'll get into that with more detail and and gave the chance for some character parent to, I think like characters to shine in ways that I didn't see them shining as much in earlier books. And that had me really excited and happy in some of these epic moments. So I kind of, yeah, I just, I guess as a piece of art, the shadow rising made me feel a lot of things and I'll, that's a compliment (laughs) and I am super Pumped to get into talking about because I I feel like this one has the most talking points. I'm at least like interested in getting more folks' opinions on because it elicited <laughs> such a strong emotional reaction for me. That's
0: well said. And Sandra, I you had released a video back in December about your initial reactions to reading Wheel of Time four for the first time, and. I highly recommend everyone listening to go back and watch that, and yeah. one of the things that you had mentioned is because of this book's length and how much is going on and how much you had to kind of, uh, you know, experience, and then you were kind of looking forward to your second read-through. So now that we're here, I would love to know what your thoughts and your experience was were like reading The Shadow Rising for the second time.
2: Yeah, no, I definitely got more out of it and enjoyed it more than the first time I read it. It was just so overwhelming for me as a first-time reader. And I know that this book was the first book in the series that kind of broke from that structure of the first three where, you know, you get some time with the characters and then it's about chapter five or six or so where there's that inciting incident and then everyone kind of branches off onto their little quest and then there's a big showdown at the end. Like this one Mm -hmm. diverted from that in every possible way. So this one, while action kicked off like super early, chapter two and then chapter ten again, it just like, I think I talked about this before, but you know, if the scale is one to ten, it stayed at a ten the whole time. There was just such like, huge important things happening. So I still finish it even on my second read through, kind of with this like a like a numbness. I, I don't really know how to. Put it just kind of sitting with
1: you sound everything that just
2: happened it, like exhausted <laughs> yeah. from There's just, just being... so much yeah but, but yeah but like you said dylan there were definitely scenes that are going to be like some of my favorite moments that have happened so far in the series but it's just as a thousand page book <laughs> yeah. yeah
0: i i feel exactly the same way sandra this was my second time going through it as well and it's just a different experience than going through the first three books it's like a hundred thousand words longer than the <laughs> other ones and it just like you said it breaks the structure that we were used to and for me this is the first book that really gives you what i consider the quintessential wheel of time reading experience where it's just puts you through a lot and when i first read it i had this mindset of like am i not Am I not going to remember details? Am I not retaining enough to appreciate the story? I had all these concerns my first time around, and when I started the series again, I'm like, did I retain enough from my read all those years ago to, to be able to remember what's going on? And you know, when I I think that it doesn't really matter. I, you know, <laughs> Robert Jordan puts you in the experience, and you get different stuff out of it different times, and there's not so much pressure to retain everything and when you approach it from that angle and that's why I think Sandra and I had a, a bit of a leg up on Dylan because we've had this read this <laughs> book already where it's like you can kind of just take a you know to take a little bit of a step back and a kind of like, appreciate what's going on and I enjoyed it more my second time through as well it's so much longer and I you do feel like you have to get through it at certain times but when the pressure's kind of off a little bit in terms of like making sure you had to retain everything and remember something for a twist in book 11, it, it, it's like you, you get used to it.
1: Yeah. You two definitely <laughs> had a leg up on me in that <laughs> sense. I'd say there were times for sure where I was like, how am I going to follow all these different eyes that die and, <laughs> and what's going on with, I'm like, and, and the ideal. I-
2: yeah. And <laughs> the I-
1: yeah. So we get intro and, that's a great point sandra because when the ie will start coming up it is like wait how many wise ones are there and is it important <laughs> that i distinguish between them and right now based on what we got in the shadow rising it doesn't feel like that ended up being particularly important for my comprehension or enjoyment of the book um But you don't know when you're reading it, like if I don't differentiate between these two wise ones, am I in trouble here? And that makes it tough to follow all these different characters. We did get some great advice when we went to Twitter of time before we we started this, that a lot of folks were kind of like, Hey, yeah, if you want to be a person who's constantly taking notes and getting everything down and trying to make all these intense predictions and all that kind of stuff, that's one way to approach a series, but you can also enjoy it as kind of this more like, sit back and let it happen. It's a journey and maybe you'll miss some things, but that's okay. And that was kind of a point I, I reached during this. And that wasn't the main, the main frustration stuff for me was more with some character stuff that we'll we'll get into but uh, yeah once you accept it and kind of enjoy the ride it's a little bit better is that what you found too sandra on your second read
2: 100 100%. (laughs) percent. and i yeah i would agree that the character development is probably the weakest part of our day's stuff for me too
1: (laughs) so
0: let's get into it because all three of us have said oh this book has like some of our favorite moments and some of our most shocking moments. So I'd like to hear from each of you, like a moment that stuck out that we can all kind of react to. And I guess I'll start uh, Dylan, I'll start with you. If you want to share like a favorite moment or a shocking moment, which one is it and mm. what is it? And let's well, all kind of jump in on it.
1: Maybe it's both, which is <laughs> okay. so most of my favorite things that happen in this book come from Elaine, who really gets the opportunity to get a lot more point of views and all this kind of stuff that she was in the background, especially in books one and two, book three the dragon reborn you and i charles gave her the most improved award (laughs) uh, where we're like oh she's starting to develop her voice as a character we see what she's doing it did seem kind of in response to the fact that she's she was placed in book three between uh Nynaeve and Egwene and kind of had to become this mediator but it makes sense given her background as this like she's the daughter heir she grew up in politics all this kind of stuff and I think that now that RJ has figured out who uh, sorry Elaine is Mm -hmm. uh, he was like oh now I can write POVs and we get this character that's very different from I think all the other characters and especially when we get into some of the stuff that maybe we weren't as happy with, like some of it feels sometimes like RJ has these default characteristics that he will often apply to female characters in the series as kind of being like stubborn and hard-headed And like, I don't know, like mean a lot of times, especially to the men and, and this kind of way of, of being that I think Elaine comes to like, she comes to be a juxtaposition against that to show kind of like, okay, RJ at, is showing us not all, he doesn't think all women are like that. <laughs> uh, kind of like the Fai'il is the, like, for me, like the, the worst version, the worst offender of this and the, mm-hmm. um, and then like the best, Version of that kind of character is for me, Egwene, the like stubborn, hard headed. Makes more sense why she's that way. But anyway, asked for best moment. I'm going to give you a best moment, which is when Elaine like talks out her feelings in a reasonable way with Egwene of like, "Hey, I really like you, and I feel like you like Rand, but I also like Rand. Like, what can I do about that?" And they like work it out as like civilized people because especially Elaine has a lot of tact and ability to communicate mostly well I know there are times when she doesn't and then following that up when she's like she's with Rand and she's kind of in this place where she has these reactions to being wrapped up in all this uh, Talverin stuff where she's like, has these ridiculously strong feelings for Rand and knows it's like, this is ridiculous that I feel this way. I hardly know this guy, but I feel this way. So like, why not just tell him that? Uh, and see what happens. And he seems nice enough. So she does. And she literally is just like, "Hey, Rand, I want to kiss you. Like, can we kiss each other here? And it's like for <laughs> a book where which is like one of the things r j did. When he set out to write this book, we've talked about this before from that like interview you you heard, Charles mm-hmm. is like to write about like how communication gets messed up and like, it's difficult to translate things, especially between big distances, but also just like interpersonally. Mm-hmm. And Elaine is kind of the counter then she's just like, hey, I want to kiss you. Can we kiss each other? And just to see with all these. <laughs> relationships that are not straightforward and people like <laughs> miscommunicating and parents saying like, uh, like being mean to Fayil to try to get her to like not go with him on a dangerous place instead of being vulnerable and normal and communicative. Elaine is just this counterpoint of like, hey, I feel this way. Let me tell the person I feel this way. And like, do you want to kiss me? And that moment, I was like, thank you, Elaine. Like. <laughs> That is a reasonable thing to do when you feel this way. So props to Elaine. Yeah, she
2: wrote him a letter. Yeah.
1: Two of them. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
2: I do like that about her. There were just several times throughout the series where it almost felt like to me that Nynaeve and Egwene, and even in this book, Faye, a little bit, were just different shades of the same Mm -hmm. character. And Elaine just always stuck out as kind of her own. And yeah, that's all I wanted to add there.
1: Totally right, agree.
0: Sanitary. I agree. I, I, this is the, I'm going to say something here and you guys, I'm curious what you think. Uh, I, I feel that Robert Jordan almost world builds his characters yes. into existence. Yes. <laughs> yes. I feel like he's so busy creating this universe and because it's so vast and rich that when you do insert a character into a scene, it almost like the characterization almost writes itself and book four is the beginning of this where the the doors to the plot just blow wide open and it's just this like vast world. And Elaine is one of those characters that benefits the most from this ca- creating characters into existence through world building because she has to be you know with Rand and then she has to be with Nynaeve and Elaine and they can't all be like the same person any longer because yeah. now there's like, we need to get pulled into different <laughs> scenes and the fact that Elaine comes from royalty and has a different background from the others, she's she just sticks out and starts to do interesting things and say interesting things and be more in her emotions, which I know Dylan appreciates, right. uh than Nynaeve who is emotionally stunted from having to uh present herself as an authority, like overcompensate for her age and experience, even though she had a leadership position. So, yeah, uh, Elaine has a strong showing in this book. You know, she doesn't stick out to me so much because we don't get like that much of her. But I do appreciate. I do think she continues to get that most improved award. I'll give you that, Dylan.
1: <laughs> I want to give her MVP this time around. But I also want to. <laughs> we'll we'll get there. But I also want here from uh sandra if she has any favorite moments that that stick out and we can we can get back to more character stuff too i think
2: yeah i was gonna say i there's definitely an elaine moment that it's one of my favorites but we can probably save that one for the character segment later it's it's not a serious one whatsoever it's more for it i want
1: to hear it <laughs>
2: uh, no, it's it's a cup of wine, that chapter. Oh Duncan yes, was. no, I
1: love it. Elaine
2: is the best Elaine. It's yeah. just I don't know. It was such a it was such a tender moment between her and Tom. And I've been wanting that scene forever, I feel like, and it finally happened. And I loved every up like the mustache tug, all of it.
1: Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Elaine's just being a person. Like she's like a yeah. teenager interacting with the world in a way that feels so real
2: she might be daughter air but she is not you know above having a few glasses of wine and you know, yeah having a little talk with yeah. Um,
1: yeah
0: when you have a book that's like four hundred thousand words long it's like can you give us some moments for characterization yes like yeah. can we just get a moment where they're like not questing and just drunk in a tavern, and yeah, you know, uh, and, and seeing how Elaine exists with her relationships between Tom and Nynaeve, and and just having yeah. these moments where it's not dedicated toward expanding the world building yeah. or advancing the plot, but actually giving us a sense of what these characters might be like just day to day.
2: Yeah, definitely. It it almost kind of reminded me of Game of Thrones. You know, when <laughs> you know the later season when they're all just kind of. Drinking ale and bonding—I just love this moments a lot. They do a lot for it.
1: Yeah, the story. That was one of the last great moments of Game of Thrones. Yeah. Fury, I actually felt like. <laughs> 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 but we won't. We won't delve too but, much into
2: yeah. that. <laughs> all
0: right. Well, l- let's get into some characterization here. One of the things that really interests me about the beginning of this book is this: these all these strained relationships. Mm in the Wheel of Time. One of the things that I've always appreciated is that, yes, Matt, Perrin, Rand, they all are friends, but their circumstances have now changed so drastically. This book starts right after Rand wields Calendor, and all these people are like, we are not worthy to him, you know? So it's like, it it changed their relationship. And I really liked all these moments where Matt is like, geez, Rand's really like gone off the deep end. Like, (laughs) Like, I hope he doesn't channel around me. Like, they're not really like, friendly anymore and then they go back to questing and they fall into some of those friendly moments again but i do like how there is a lot of pressure and strain being put on the three of them and to me one of my favorite things about these characters is how they all started together and through circumstance are are still friendly but they're being pulled apart now and you can see that starting to happen and they still have these friendships but you know, as we go into from book four to five to six, it's like to see where these characters go. This book, Robert Jordan's not afraid to be like, hey, they can we can put them on opposite ends of the map now and, and see how this works out. And I just really appreciated those relationships, like how that kind of tension started in the Stone of Tear.
1: Yeah, I agree. I think it's it's interesting, especially to there's that one moment where Perrin is like, I'm going to go back to the two rivers because things are getting real messed up there. And then we have Matt as kind of like, you can tell he sort of wants to, but he's also like, I think I'm past the two rivers at this point. And he's like, okay, well that's cool, dude. Like I support you go back there, but I'm going to do my own thing. And they're both, these are the moments I like is when like, they both kind of respect that Mm -hmm. and Leave on decent terms instead of like trying to manipulate each other into hating each other, yeah. um, which happens from time to time. Yeah, in in wheel of time.
2: Yeah, as as grating as some of Matt's tendencies can be, he's definitely still one of my favorite characters to watch just for amusement, you know, entertainment's sake. But yeah, this book to me it felt more like parents. Yeah. I guess, his huge arc, because mm-hmm. by the end of it, he is like nothing like the blacksmith that we met from book one, you know?
1: Right. No matter what he tries to tell us, we're not believing. Yeah. It. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Right.
0: And that we can get into that because Perrin is one of my favorite characters and not because he does anything spectacular but he fits (laughs) these roles so well and he's written into them so well and even in this beginning Rand is like oh Perrin's going off and doing what he must like I understand the two rivers is under attack but I'm like too important now to go over there and I have confidence in Perrin and delegating that responsibility to Perrin to do that and this is where I think Wheel of Time stands out against most fantasy series because now we have what could be a whole book in itself of parents like parents like the majority of this book he's almost a third of the whole thing of him basically the plot is him going to the two rivers and increasing the defenses and warding off uh the trollic army and then also turning away the white cloaks but i i enjoyed it because it was the stakes were lower it was a more contained story in this huge book but there was a lot of moments i really liked about it we get that whole I, again i i kind of compared him to Jon snow a few times i was like i don't want it exactly <laughs> yeah like yeah. perrin kind of i feel like perrin kind of invented these tropes in in a few ways he's like oh i you know i'm not rand i'm not matt i i am just someone who's just trying to do the right thing i can't like they're not interested in going back to the two rivers and i don't want to just leave them hanging so I'm gonna go. you know his, his decisions are guided by his nobility like his, his nature and he's just kind of falls into this leadership position and everyone buys him as this leader before he does and it's that trope that uh, Perrin you know in this in the series full of like fantasy tropes where you can kind of roll your eyes a little bit I think Perrin just almost falls into this trope really comfortably. I just really like the Perrin Oh, movies.
2: I love that trope. Yeah. yeah. parent. I'm with you. Like, Perrin is one of my favorite. I will say my opinion tarnished just a little bit because of another character, but yeah.
0: <laughs> Which character is that? Let's get into it. Oh. Yeah, I think I know.
1: And I feel the same.
2: Rhymes with you. Aiel. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Yeah, is that Fail? Then how? I legit when I read the book, I cannot stop myself from saying Fail, and I don't think that's a huge problem with some of how I feel about this character, because Fail is—I don't know. What I feel like is Fail took a step back as a character Mm. during this book and i i i sent you a message about this sandra that uh, you'll probably remember when you were helping validate some of my early frustrations with this book (laughs) which is like fails started last book or at least I came into the last book The Dragon Reborn uh, as this kind of like I'm an adventurer I want to find the horn I'm not like every other character every other female character that Robert Jordan has written I'm like I'm doing my own thing I have my own adventure and she kind of just got wrapped up in like these people are doing interesting things they might give me a chance to find this horn and then she started to fall for Perrin which like Perrin seems like a nice dude why Mm -hmm. not and then I like something happened in between it was very drastic Yeah, yeah it's like what happened in between book three and book four where Faiul came back as what feels like a totally different character where it's like now she's doing all of these like classic rj isms which is just like being stubborn berating people putting her hands on her hips all the time crossing <laughs> her arms beneath her breasts which is like i think that's just called crossing your arms <laughs> like I, how do you cross your arms above your breasts i don't know i i like that's i think that would just be putting your hands on your shoulders I, like and you could oh, cut yeah. out some words too by doing that but anyway um
2: those are good chuckles yeah
1: yeah, <laughs> yeah. and it was kind of the braid pulling of this book was like f- for Fayo because the braid pulling got toned down i felt like for oh, 19- yeah,
0: yeah nneve was distinctively trying not to pull her braid in this book
1: <laughs> right so and she also does the calling the love interest by their full name is another classic. Oh, and they're frustrated. Uh, RJ, yeah, like Perrin Ibarra. you get here right now. Yeah, yeah, it's (laughs) like, oh my God. Which like, I guess I don't (laughs) mind some characters having those characteristics. In fact, I've said to this point, Egwene has been my favorite character. Elaine's kind of up there now too. Um, But Egwene, you understand why she's the way she is. And Fael, it's like, she just kind of ends up fitting whatever Robert Jordan wants her to in that moment, it feels like. And the actions she takes are not really understandable given anything we know about her. And they're different than she's behaved like drastically different than she's behaved in previous moments without us seeing any reason why she would be different now. And I think it just like her moments, very rare. They don't really feel earned. And it kind of, I come away from it being like, what, what is the message of Fail's role in all of this? It almost feels to me like RJ's message is like from Perrin's point of view, like women are so incomprehensible and mysterious and the things they do don't make sense, which is not a good message. It's not a message that I would want sent. And I understand another good Twitter of time advice for us was like, it's okay to get frustrated by those kind of moments in a modern perspective, but keep in mind, like this book was what, 92? Like that's the year I was born. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> like, so I'm gonna try to give some, like a lot of media was like that at that time. And I think it's like, I feel valid and being frustrated by it. And I understand if other people- no, are
2: I, I mean, I was frustrated by the same thing. I feel like in the previous book, she was introduced as more of kind of like that spirited Min type of mm. character. And mm. then this book, I felt like her arc was- almost clinging to this desperate need to be close to Perrin with like her jealousy and her it it was almost like a lack of confidence in herself I I don't know how to like really word it but I don't know by the end of the book I felt like Fai'il was basically this character to strengthen Perrin to just empower him and help him kind of fill out his shoes and what he became by the end and that was that was basically it. (laughs)
0: Yeah, I agree, Sandra. It's. I mean, she had such interesting reasons to be in this whole environment. She was hunting for the horn and everything. And then I yeah. guess. Parents to in nature, just pull her in. What can I say? Mm -hmm. But yeah, it was kind of like eye-roly to be like, women are like this and men are like this throughout their whole story arc, where it's like, oh, you have to like guide them along, have a sweet pie and an apple tart, and we'll make the decisions for you. Like, now, now, (laughs) just make them something nice, draw him a hot bath, he'll relax, and then you can do whatever you want to him. You know, it's like, what? (laughs) This is bizarre. Uh, Isn't Fayil like a warrior and a a part of nobility? <laughs> like and there are parts that I liked. Like I like this idea of having two stubborn people trying to get each other to be emotionally vulnerable, but it just falls apart when they when they fall into these tropes of, like, Perrine Barra, you get over here this instant. I don't want you to, to lead the army. It's too dangerous. And he's like, you need to go, Vail. It's too dangerous for you to be here. And it's like, we're all, like, what's going on? Like, what is going on? This is not, like, yeah, they're teenagers, but I feel like this is also stemming from Robert Jordan's inability to write oh, no. <laughs> like <laughs> all, all these like relationships <laughs> that when he doesn't have the characters fully realized you know I, I think yeah. he wanted someone for Perrin to marry and mm. fall in love with that was strong and capable and noble but that's kind of where his slot for Vail ended and then the world building carried her away but yeah. it, it it and Unlike Elaine's case, the world building just put her more and more into a slot and we didn't really learn much about her. We do know that she is part of this nobility. And I did like that this ended with a wedding and them riding off and being cheered and everything. Like I did like that. But yeah, I don't know. There was so much potential in that relationship (laughs) that just if you're going to have two strong characters, why slot them so stereotypically into this into this weird women are like this men are like this? dynamic is yeah. it, it, it fell flat
2: yeah i mean you've read the rest of the series so i have no idea what the relationship <laughs> dynamic is going to be like later right but i feel like part of the thing that sucks with reading the books you know so so much later after they came out is okay this is book four there are how many books 14 books right and it's just they got married in this book so what what is the relationship going to become like i have no idea where this goes from there.
0: So. Right. Yeah. It, it's interesting to see. It almost feels like Perrin's story is, is done now. Like it, it's done. It's like, where is he going to go from here? Yeah. You know, he, I he's... hope that's
2: not the case. <laughs> yeah. Cause he is one of my favorites. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It's a strong showing. I do admire Perrin in a lot of ways in a book. That's like got tons of these old school fantasy tropes and also tons of this like intense world building. He, he is, the like humble modest and he lives up to it and i admire him for all of those reasons so big fan of perrin and yeah hopefully he learns to pick up the hammer instead of the axe soon <laughs> it's like who cares what he's holding seriously like even like all the, the women's circles like when are you going to pick up the hammer it's like what <laughs> everyone has an opinion on perrin's weapon choice <laughs> It was very bizarre, but I liked him learning how to delegate and everything like that, and I yeah. appreciate the different levels of stakes that the series is getting into, and I liked having the lower stakes of of being in the Two Rivers. So strong showing, uh, yes, yeah, so. Sandra, we need to <laughs> we need to have a conversation about two characters in particular. But the first that I think we need to get into, I got in some hot water for this when we did a Wheel of Time tier list. <laughs> <laughs> and that's and how you're like doing
2: dark. it, right? Then that's how yeah. you know you're doing and, it. Right. And
0: we had put Lan as a B tier character. And
2: <laughs> oh, I am so bitter. You about were it.
0: leading the charge, and you were not alone that he should have gone higher. And you have yet to change my mind, but I'm open to it. And now that you're here, Sandra, and I've, you know, I appreciate all your work, and I'm like super excited to talk about this with you. Let's get through some of these. Lan moments and what stuck out for you and why Lana as a character is worthy of more than just the B tier.
1: <laughs> I'll see if I can channel my inner lane and uh, try to mediate Charles's <laughs> pure hatred for Lan. Oh, it's not that with, strong. <laughs> <laughs> with uh, Sandra's adoration yeah what is it that you love love so much about Lan? it's probably
2: it's probably this whole trope of like the fallen king or the king Mm -hmm. of like nothing you know what i mean just that Mm -hmm. old bloodline that for whatever reason fell to ruin and so he's kind of like the last descendant of that so i've always gravitated towards that kind of character but like apart from that lan is just he's older, right? So he is more mature. He doesn't have some of the irritations that I get from other younger characters or our main cast of people, but he's such a stoic. But I feel like when he does say something, it, it's either going to be really funny or it's going to be the most poetic line of just the most romantic thing that you have ever heard in your (laughs) life. So, So like I was when you're reading some of this, and he'll talk to Naive, it's like whoa, 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 whoa! I was not expecting him to just like come out and say that. And it's just moments like that that just completely jar me. So it's like he's a badass with a sword, and he only <laughs> he only speaks when he has something that he feels very compelled to say. And and then there's just still moments of humor that I never really expect. Just like in the very beginning, when Rand is just sitting on the edge of the bed, covered in blood, and like the first thing Lan says to him is like, "Oh, cut yourself shaving."
0: <laughs> it's like, yeah, I remember. What? That.
2: <laughs> yeah, it's it's just kind of a combination of all of that. I just, yeah, he. I know that he hasn't gotten a lot of screen or page time, you know, as compared to the rest of the characters, but I just, I, I like Lan. Hmm. Why don't you like him? <laughs>
0: well I, it's not that i don't like him it's just i'm indifferent about him it, his personality is the sword guy as far as i'm concerned you know he's like oh uh, you have to know when to sheathe the sword it's like what you have to know when to kill yourself is that your advice oh that gosh. we're gonna get into it's like it's like oh like that was the great hunt right it's like know when to sheath the sword and of course he's talking about just like stabbing yourself it's like okay that's an interesting interesting lesson to be teaching these kids but there is something to be said i will give you some points that like i did appreciate this thing you said about his maturity level because especially in those first three books it was kind of exhausting to have all of these characters just going on and on and then it's like oh lan actually has this kind of mysterious history about him he does have a commanding presence about him and he sticks out in that way and i always appreciated that but it's just like having a sword does not a personality make. I'm
1: sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Savage. So, okay. I, I had to talk Charles up when he was trying to put Lan in the C tier during that wheel of time character list, by the way, and I went on this long, you know, as I do like maundering thing about why Lan is at least B tier. And like at the beginning of it, I said like, and by the way, like B is in the middle because we we're doing like S, A, B, C, D, uh-huh. because, you know, the culture of tier lists is we're not willing to accept that, like, it's just A through F, so we try to pretend the bottom one's D tier <laughs> instead. And uh, at the end of the whole thing, Charles was like, the most compelling thing you said there was that <laughs> B is the middle tier. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like Because there's nothing
0: that he does that's like, bad. Like, I don't want to put him in a tier that, like, detracts, but... I don't want to give him too much so, either.
1: <laughs> can I, I actually, Sandra, what you said has me kind of looking back on land with a different lens that, that at least appeals to, to me and what I look for in characters, which is this idea of a character in this book who's like this more, as you said, mature uh, like male characters actually capable of even though he is this badass with a sword and known for being a warrior and all these things is actually willing to like say how he's feeling to the people around him like he says how he's and not just romantically like he says yeah. how he's feeling mm-hmm. to Moraine mm-hmm. he says how he's feeling uh, of course to Nynaeve and he's actually making genuine efforts to be a good mentor to Rand. I understand your reservations, Charles, about that mentorship, uh, but (laughs) I don't know. I think there's something... I'm going to at least, like, so it's spinning in my head now in a way in which I wasn't thinking about land that way. And we'll see where he ends up in the next uh, yeah. tier list. I yeah. might make a case for it. I mean,
2: he says what he means, and he's not, you know, apologetic about it. He's not worried about hurting anyone's feelings. And that's just, he doesn't dance around it. And I appreciate mm, that as right. compared to other characters just kind of flip-flopping all the time and yeah. all of all of the internal dialogue back and forth
0: that's that's well said i do like him as a mentor figure in many ways and it's like you said sandra like when he's when he speaks we should all be listening because he has this economy of words that very few other characters have (laughs) and he does get some really good dialogue and like i'm on board with that um but the other thing is his relationship with nynaeve which I like in theory, uh, but <laughs> it just like comes out of nowhere. She's not Tavir, and she doesn't can't just pull him in like <laughs> like Rand and Perrin can. So it's like what's what's happening here? I feel like there's all of a sudden one chapter in, in those first books where it's like, yeah. Don't go, Nynaeve, I love you. It's like, whoa, didn't you guys like just meet? <laughs> <laughs> and Nynaeve's a hard person to like she doesn't give the best first impressions either so I I do like that Lan would see through that and Nynaeve would admire his um, natural ability but beyond that it's like I wish we had a character moment between the two of them like we saw Lane getting drunk with Nynaeve and Tom it's like let's see Lan have a character moment I would love that
2: no, yeah, this is chalk it up to more off-page development <laughs> from,
1: from RJ. Yeah, I mean, there's only
0: so many pages in wheel of time, guys. We can't develop <laughs> yeah. everybody. <laughs> <gotta cut> <laughs> yeah, uh,
1: that that's really interesting to think about too, with that relationship and how it contrasts with the other ones that have the Taviran bump kind of yeah. going for it, where you give them that credit. I guess it's like, I think RJ rj has a lot of strengths in character building and i and relationship building in some ways too in my perception Mm -hmm. however i don't think one of those strengths is doing the slow burn drawn out little moments Mm -hmm. of how characters fall for each other Mm -hmm. and It works for me with Elaine because she and Rand, those two in particular, because she's sitting there, like, interacting with that world building of, like, I feel so strongly, but she herself is aware of, like, this is f- silly. Like This is silly that I feel so strongly about someone I don't know, but we buy that you would feel that strongly because of the way that RJ has woven, if you will, the Taviran stuff where it's like something about Rand is just going to draw you toward him and there's nothing you can do about that, Elaine. It sucks, but <laughs> there you are. And she... <laughs> is like as a character she's in that situation and she's capable of saying like okay well here i am like i guess i want to kiss this dude so i guess i'll go try to make that happen yeah. there's like get it, yeah, but Ny- yeah. <laughs> yeah exactly but naive and lan is like you don't have that excuse like you were saying charles so the lack of the slow burn feels much more abrupt you're not willing to give that kind of credence, or at least I, I feel like it's more abrupt. I don't want to speak for her. other people yeah. love that relationship. That's like, there's well, a relationship. Yeah.
2: Yeah. I mean, in hindsight, the relationship does make sense because mm. you know, Nynaeve has always been, you know, as the wisdom, she's always been very protective of the two rivers crew. And so she's also one of the strongest female personalities too. And yeah. it would take someone like plan to be able to, you know, penetrate all of that and, and understand her.
0: I agree. I th- yeah, RJ, I think goes part to his world building. I think he matched these mm-hmm. two characters mm-hmm. in his plotting, and th- it makes a lot of sense that they're together. I, you know, I just wish we were more surprised by it than like in book one, they're professing love for each other already. But... That being said, they do fit well together. I think you need a really wise, patient person to get through that exterior of Nynaeve. And Nynaeve is one of my favorite characters. And even though she gets a little shortchanged in this book, she delivers. And one of my favorite moments is like the rising action of this book where she takes on a forsaken, like direct, Mm -hmm. like one-on-one, just they're both throwing their full power at each other. And I really I enjoyed it. It was so much fun. We didn't get so much action in this in this book, and then to have Nynaeve like getting angrier and angrier, and realizing that she's matching a forsaken and fighting a forsaken, and then she <laughs> figures out to just like, oh, I'll just throw this object at her face. <laughs> like, it's so good. I really liked it. I wonder what you thought yeah. about it, Sandra.
2: No, that scene with Mogadine. Mogadine. Yeah. Yeah, uh, I think there was a part where she did realize that she was actually more mm. powerful than Mogadine, right? Yeah. But mm. if correct me if I'm wrong, she was trying to cut Mogadine off from yeah. the Dark One. But yeah, that was a badass scene for Nynaeve. There weren't a lot of there weren't a lot of like action adrenaline scenes like that, but that one stood out to me too. And mm. then I think Elaine also had a huge moment too, in, in the palace.
1: Yeah, yeah, she got not as cool as Nynaeve. It wasn't a cool sure, but she did. Yeah, she laid the smack down on someone,
0: yeah. and
1: she, I think, that Nynaeve moment. Yeah, that was amazing. There might be some <laughs> meowing going on in the background, so uh, excuse that. <laughs> right? Okay, uh, yeah, that Nynaeve moment was amazing. I think it was so cool how. And it felt really well built toward because of the way in which she has been... This whole time, we've been told how powerful Nynaeve is, and finally we get to see her put that to use, and we buy, she's yeah. able to take on a forsaken.
2: Yeah, that was amazing. And I did like her throwing... I, was it the collar that she threw it Therefore, I believe so. It was, so.
1: Yeah. It
0: was yeah. some yeah. sort and of She still object.
2: managed yeah she still managed to hold on to the bracelets and the collar and the seal and
0: and right she was able to shield Mogadine and she's like now I, I like this moment where she's like got Mogadine shielded she's like oh man what do I do with this like I just I just captured this very dangerous person yeah and she's trying to determine like what to do and she escapes but it's Again, it's this good. these good matchups that RJ has in his brain of like, oh, these two people could go head to head and it would be very close and exciting. Yeah. And like the fact that he was able to plot that and Nynaeve is someone we've been built up to expect. It's like, oh, she has her, she's incredibly powerful, but what's interesting is her limitation and that she mm-hmm. has to be incredibly angry in order to pull it off. You never she never knows if she can draw on her full potential or not. So th- that kind of helped create some stakes and then also she's very practical which kind of separates herself from other channelers is that she's she likes herbs, she likes to take charge. She's not afraid to get physical, uh, you know, in her communicating and her and her, you know, just Uh, taking the way she takes charge yeah and and her own braids (laughs) so like she realized she's like this person's (laughs) been relying on channeling for thousands of years so we'll see what i can do when i throw something (laughs) at her face it's like that's actually good logic i'm all for that
2: (laughs) very creative yeah
0: (laughs) for sure so she she earned some points for me and although we didn't get a lot of the a lot of female characters here except for vail maybe we did I do one of the most shocking moments for me actually happens super super fast in the white tower and that's like the the mm. the coup that goes on it it's <sighs> almost like so shocking yeah. it's like it you have it
2: was so brief yeah yeah it,
0: it, but I love the concept of it because it's true Swan Sanchez was trying she was playing a dangerous game and you have all these red aja who are very you know if they found out what she was doing, they would be very against it it, as risky to try and support a male channeler and actually help him become the dragon reborn. But it was delivered in such a way it was, it happened so fast in this book. That's like 400,000 words. It's like, Whoa, we're just only going to give we got so, we got like 30% of this book is Perrin realizing that people like him. And then we get this one short chapter of, of, um, of poor Swan getting deposed.
2: Yeah, that was that was probably one of my top top scenes in this book too. I like Swan as a character. She's always strong and puts on that front of being um, very just kind of emotionally flat. She doesn't let her mo- emotions get in the way of like whoever she's interacting with. But behind closed doors, especially with you know Mor- Moraine, she's that vulnerable side um, comes out. But that scene. It stood it stood out as one of my favorite scenes that happened not because of what happened to her obviously but just how she yeah. like came out of that mm. whereas you know in the earlier book when Logan was gentled he's basically on suicide watch because yeah. of of having his power taken away from him whereas Suan she just kind of has the opposite she's like more determined than ever to write everything that's happened and I appreciated that about her character
1: Yeah, I totally agree. Yes, Sandra, that resilience that we see from a character. It's again one of those moments where it feels very earned that a character like Swan would be resilient in the face of this. And I think her character has been built a lot more in a lot more subtle ways than some other characters. I think we've been shown more than told who Swan is besides like the, the telling moments, like the moments of being told are like when we keep getting told that she's like manipulating everyone like chess pieces, but she's also just kind of like sending children to, take care of tasks that part's not as great but the she comes off just in the way she communicates with people as like you were saying sandra like this she's aware of what's going on for her she has this vulnerable side to her but she knows she's mature and she knows that like i am a ridiculously powerful person and i have to be able to appear that way or something like this is always on the verge of happening even if I do a pretty good job just because of the circumstances and I yeah I think her resilience in the face of this really tragic moment yeah. for her is uh, amazing and like a, a great moment that she faces it so strongly
2: yeah I I mean I I was just so blindsided I mean it's he RJ was never secretive about Elida you know, scheming against her, but I just did yeah. not expect it to go <laughs> down like this. Yeah,
0: yeah, it was shocking. And I i don't know, I just always admired Swan. Like we knew from the beginning that she was taking these great risks and she was mm-hmm. trying very hard to keep it. It's bold when a leader is trying to pull the wool over Everyone that follows her, you know? She was trying she kept it a secret yeah. from every single I Sedai except Moraine. And she had to enlist children, granted yeah. very capable children, but children to go off and pretend to be I Sedai to do these things because she couldn't risk having other people find out. And super, super risky, and she knew that the whole time. But she was willing to take those risks because sometimes that's what a ruler has to do. So all those implications I really enjoyed. And yeah, I just found it, you know, when she's in the prison and Min is rescuing her, I was just impressed with, I I would call it her bravery to be able to continue and to fight. And, you know, I think they have Liana there, her her assistant, to kind of remind you of like, oh, like Liana's like, yeah, super depressed and like crying and scared and borderline suicidal. I think RJ deliberately put her there so that yeah. we can juxtapose that against the reaction of Swan, who's like, we can't worry about we can't like dwell on this stuff right now. There's too much to do. We have to go. And I just like the implications of that. I It makes me very curious about the future of the White Tower and then like Loghain joins the fray, which I yeah. was very interested in as well. He seems to be like this wild card piece that we've Oh yeah we've been talking about mm-hmm. over and over, but he doesn't he hasn't really done anything except to get captured and shown us the consequences of, you know, being stilled and this idea yeah. of false dragons and things like that. So no, that whole thing kicked like it made me very curious so that it definitely drove a lot of my curiosity about where wheel of time is going was in these moments yeah Yeah,
2: I'm I'm excited to see what happens with Loghain I think the first time we saw him he just seemed so cocky and smirking at Rand when Rand was you know on the wall looking at him um but yeah Vin Min's um, visions with him in the Halo. I'm just like, what does this mean? Like, I want <laughs> right. to, I want to know more because, yeah. yeah, it has. It seems like it'll be exciting when,
0: when he. Yeah. We...
1: No, it's very. You interesting. bring up Min there, Sandra. I know Min is a character that you really like, and Min. Uh, we've we've talked about this some on, on social media. Min is a very, from what I can tell, divisive character.
0: Among the, yeah.
1: and i think that so i'll i think sarah from fiction fans will be okay with me saying that like <laughs> she my sense of sarah's opinion is that she's way deeper in the series than, than you and i are um mm-hmm, obviously charles mm-hmm. has read through all of it so he's just sitting there like uh like Marais. smiling at us <laughs> yeah. yeah but <laughs> i i think that sarah's take i think she's in book 11 now is kind of like this sense of almost disappointment and unfulfilled potential with Min. And some people feel that, but also we did a poll of people's favorites between uh, on, on Twitter, between Min, Elaine, and Aguin. And I was like waiting for Egwene to just sweep this thing as my like first wheel of timer on book three or whatever. And then Min killed it in that poll <laughs> Elaine did the worst, by the way, <laughs> for that's weird. Um, but yeah. So like, there's people who love her to the point where all those people came out and voted for her. Um, but then there's people who feel disappointed by her. What, so for you, Sandra, what is, what is the Min? Cause I'm kind of like, I'm in this, like I'm early in the series. I want to see what happens with Min. She has all this potential. Like, where are you at with Min right now, Sandra?
2: I mean, I love Min as a character just because I'm intrigued by this idea of of these visions that she has. But just from chapter one, I feel like she's just kind of at the mercy of destiny and her role in in the pattern that's being woven. And so, yeah, she wants to be at Rand's side, like fighting beside him. But that's not... Those aren't the cards that she's been dealt, so she has to be, you know, physically distanced from him and do what she can in her way. And I don't know, like that's a tough spot to be in. Mm-hmm, and then yeah. it just goes back to the whole Rand and flip flopping with his interests with different people, and <laughs> yeah, which yeah, has frustrated me. But <laughs>
0: yeah. I'm a big Min fan as well. I like that she sticks out amongst all like she can't channel but she does have these abilities that keeps her useful and in the action but she stands up a lot on her own on her own merit which I enjoy quite a bit I do think she's Underutilized. I would like to see more for you know this book. She got very shortchanged. Robert Jordan uh, put her in a dress and had her go around as Elmindreda. L- yeah, Elmindreda. Yeah, to report <laughs> visions to Swan and like talk to Gawain. It's like okay, if you have to talk to Gawain, you like you know you've like <laughs> dropped down into the lower sphere of the plotting of this book. So it's like it's just a shame. But yeah, she does fall into this weird love. <laughs> triangle like uh, quadrangle whatever you call it w- with Rand at this point yeah. I, I can't keep like track a hexagon of at this point. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah this complicated just... web but she plays it well
2: yeah yeah she's just less of a mystery than when she was introduced as like this short-haired tomboy-ish mm-hmm. with you know these cool visions but yeah I... we'll see
1: yeah and I think she is uh, we put her in the A tier for what it's worth in that Wheel of Yay! Time character tier list. And that was, uh, y- yeah, we only had like two people, like Moraine and Egwene in S tier at that time after book yeah. three. So that's now, high He was almost S tier. He was well, but yeah. yeah. But high praise to, for, uh, I think, for what we think of Min. And I think it's because she's the kind of character along those Elaine lines where the way she interacts with the fact that she's aware of all this like Talvir stuff going on and her role in it. I find that interesting. And she does stick out when she jumps off the page, when she's actually getting a chance to, she's just not getting as many chances as some of these other characters. So I, Hope yeah I really
2: her. hope we get more of her in the next book
1: <laughs> me as
0: well well, I think this only leaves us with one like main character arc left and that is the arc of uh, Rand himself <laughs> Rand went through a lot in book three i, I you know I speak for dylan i I, I believe I got the sense <laughs> right when I say we both appreciated how Rand was treated in the dragon reborn yes. we got to get like almost like a a rebrand of rand like a reboot that he kind of like rj kind of put him off to the side and then brought him back in strong in book three which i thought was a really clever way to hit hit the refresh on him and now we get dropped you know into into book four and we get a lot of rand pov and sandra i just wanted to get your reaction like where do we stand with rand at the end of book four
1: Oh, can we start the start of book four? Which sure. Okay. Let's start with the beginning. <laughs> no. good,
0: that seems like a good place.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, Sandra, you want to go or you want me to rehash you the, start it. my venting yeah. that I did to you when I was first starting? <laughs> yes. <this>? Okay.
0: <laughs> and thank you for bearing the grunt of that, by the way, Sandra. I appreciate it.
1: <laughs> yeah, Charles was like, Charles Anytime. is not having it Anytime. when I was trying to, a few people have uh, have helped me through uh, that I'd like to thank, but yeah, Andrew, no,
2: anytime. Oh I don't um, have anything against Rand. It's just yeah, there's just too many times that I'm in his head that I'm like, I really don't want to know any of this.
1: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I I felt like at the start of book four, Rand like took a step back from where he. I felt like he had been by the end of the Dragon, Reborn, and we're back to this like, oh, I'm just a shepherd from the two rivers, all this kind of stuff. And I felt like the arc of book two was Rand coming to finally accept that he was the dragon reborn. The arc of book three was like other people starting to come to accept that Rand was the dragon reborn. So why does book four start with Rand is like not accepting that he's the dragon reborn, and he still thinks he's a shepherd from the Two Rivers again. When I thought we were well past that, by the time it's like, dude, yeah. you're you're killing Forsaken now. Like you're out there. You've got Calendor, dude. Like, and so that was bothering me at the start. And the other thing was this, like, this stuff that was going on with rand and and women uh especially when there's that first of the man uh, who interacts with rand toward the beginning and i i was not in some ways i was certainly not a fan of her character like her portrayal is kind of this like she's the bad person for being straightforward about what she wants in a sexual relationship with Rand like that's kind of how she's played in this book which again I get it it was the 90s and it was different but that (laughs) doesn't sit well from a modern perspective and she uh, like she's coming on to him and then and he's like in his quote-unquote small clothes which (laughs) I guess that's underwear, What? I don't, but that's what I'm thinking. And Rand, it's like, Charles, you've talked about this a lot. Mm-hmm. Like, Rand, you are this like six foot eight, I I like to say he probably looks like Brad Pitt in Troy, but with red hair. And it's like, he's walking around like that. And someone walks in on him in his small clothes. And he's literally like blushing and freaking out and all this kind of stuff. And I'm like, it just doesn't make sense to me with Rand given the way the world has treated him, because it's like his whole life, people have still treated him this way. Like he is ridiculously handsome and good looking and all this kind of stuff. And it's like, Rand, what is wrong with you that you receive all this feedback from everyone in the world and you like are still not thinking of yourself that way? That's how everyone else thinks of you. And there's there's literally a a line from that first of the man character. talking about Baralane? That that sounds right.
2: Yeah, I think so. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So mm-hmm. she says to him, he's like freaking out and blushing and then like has that bubble of evil moment yeah. with the mirrors <laughs> and stuff. Yeah, it's but before, Yeah. <laughs> before all that, she literally says to him, Rand, you must know that you're a handsome man tall and strong and i know it's like this is not how rj meant it i don't think but <laughs> i was like yeah like you must know that <laughs> like how do you not know that rand yeah i feel like yeah that way?
2: He, he should be unaffected by it it's who's the half older brother of elaine galad galad Because yes, right? I, I mean women are always like tripping over themselves when they you yeah. know interact with him and so i feel like that's what Rand grew up with in Two Rivers, right. so that he would be more kind of aloof about it like that. But no, he he blushes. It so it was almost like a relapse moment, because I feel like book three we didn't get a lot of Rand at all, even though mm. it was a Dragon Reborn. And then once you know Shadow Rising started, it was almost like a relapse. But by the end of this fourth book, he was kind of back at it, mm. you know, taking ownership for things.
0: Mm. Yeah. Relapse is a good word for it because, you know, Dylan and I talked so much. Oh, and we were talking about the Dragon Reborn of like we really appreciated RJ's Mm -hmm. restrained use of Rand and getting only this hint of him like this ominous touching base with him. And he was like, you know, running away doing his own thing like coming to terms with his powers because we were so frustrated when throughout the for throughout the eye of the world book one he's like I'm just a shepherd from the two rivers it's like we've yeah. never seen yep. you with a sheep <laughs> ever ever at least with Perrin we got to see him do blacksmithing a ton of times yes. but it's like you keep telling us you're a shepherd from the two rivers but you are not you are never that ever not one time so the fact that you keep saying that like, is kind of frustrating. So we finally get this moment he wields Kalendor, he fights off some Forsaken, and everyone's, like, paying tribute to him as a ruler. And then, like you said, like, right now, he's like, oh, boy, like, "Uh, girl, oh, no. I'm uncomfortable now. It's like, ugh, like, come on, Rand. Like, you can at least be confident in these moments and come to this realization that you're not the same person anymore, but at least, like, Grow into it, and I feel like you're right, Sandro. He does take on more of an authority role and does start bossing people around by the end of this book. To the point that yeah. he stands up in front of all the Iel and basically puts the smackdown on Koolaiden, and, oh, yeah. and, and wins scene. over everybody. <laughs> and he like opens, he's opening portals, and like teleporting yes. around and cutting people off from the dark one and he's like this is how it's going to be now and he's like bossing around land fear finally so it's like yeah. okay finally hopefully now we get no more of the shepherd talk and <laughs> and yeah. we can yeah. start thinking of rand as the dragon reborn let's hope
1: yeah i thought yeah There were times where I thought that was going to happen before. So let's hope they're... That's where where this should have started, if I'm being honest. Well, everyone (laughs) in
2: the fandom loves Rand, right? So that has to happen. That has to happen.
1: So he... We did a poll, too, for Matt, Perrin, and Rand. And he came in second, I think. I think Matt won by a substantial margin. But people... He beat out Perrin. And honestly, like, you know, Charles... You talk about this like Perrin jumps off the page, especially for you, Sandra. I know that Perrin's arc in here and his kind of like reluctant hero stuff stuck out for you too, and me too. Like Perrin, it's it's a it's a thing you were talking about, Charles, with like Perrin. We get these moments of like a, I see a blacksmith shop. I really want to go do something there, and like I'm clearly enjoying myself and like in a flow state doing the uh, the blacksmith stuff. And it's not like we get these moments with Rand where he's like oh a a sheep farm like he's like spending time (laughs) with sheep like wow like this is amazing like I gotta I gotta put what kind of materials does one need for a sheep thing because it's like I gotta put down the sword of shears (laughs) and pick up the the, shears yeah. shears. (laughs) yeah and the women's circle is telling Rand it's time to pick up the shears again and he has this conflict it's like we're not getting those moments But yeah, sorry, you said the fandom loves Rand. A lot of them love Rand. I think it's like, look, look, I don't like to say that, but I did it. (laughs) I, I personally believe that if you, if I, let's say, I'll make it me, if I grew up reading Wheel of Time and was not in my late 20s picking this up for the first time, it would be very easy for me to self insert Rand and it'd feel pretty cool as a child to like feel like you're in Rand's shoes and everyone around you loves you and you're so special even though you don't feel like it on the inside and everyone tells you how great you are and everyone loves you right it's like, and you don't even have to do anything the world will just pull you tour and and he does do stuff. I don't want to crap on him too bad. I'm with you all. He comes to it at the end. But I think it's like of course you love a character that you grew up alongside and had an easy time putting yourself in the shoes of. And if I grew up with Rand, I'm sure I would have those same kind of feelings. It's just different for someone coming back to it for the or not coming back to it. For the first time reading the a character in 2021 and yeah. as an adult i guess
0: yeah that's fair yeah i it you're right dylan it's he he is like the most self-insertable of all the characters and he is the protagonist after all and there yeah. is a lot to like about rand and obviously this whole idea of this reluctant hero is a interesting one and a relatively interesting idea for fantasy at the time robert jordan was publishing these books so in that perspective it's it's interesting but we just don't buy the shepherd thing and we're we're ready to move past it even like i liked when Perrin Perrin already moved past it before (laughs) rand did and he had more of a reason to be in it because i love that moment where the his old master was like oh like you're gonna come and help he's like oh yeah i can be in the forge later he's like whoa what are you talking about like you're not going to go back in the forge. You're going to like lead these men as a general. And he's like, Oh yeah, I guess I am. <laughs> you know, it's like, he's ready to still pick up the hammer and participate in like doing blacksmith stuff. But everyone around him is telling him like, you need to like lead people. Like, here's the fan. Like, stay in the fancy tent. Here's the fancy food. Like, you know, go sleep. And he's like, I don't deserve these things. Like, I'm, I'm part of you guys, and I buy that, and I admire yeah. that in Perrin, and I just don't get the same, the same vibes with Rand. However, you know, I do buy Rand's authority now. He like it, it helps when you can channel and open portals and and defeat Forsaken and all that. So. I did like where we ended up with Rand at the end of this, like leading the Aiel out of the Waste and and causing it to rain. Like I thought, those were all like super interesting um, moments at the end that just solidified Rand as like he, like no questions about it, he is the Dragon Reborn. And yeah, I feel like that's where we ended with Book Three, but we're back at Book Four, and I, and I liked it. <laughs> yeah.
2: I try to give Rand some grace, just because he's still peeling away the layers of his own heritage and his parents, like finding out the name of his mom, Shail, and yeah. just mm-hmm. all of the flashbacks from the Iel being originally, you know, like the Tuatha'an, the Tinkers, and mm. yeah, yeah, I,
0: mean, I, I like. I that try too. and give
2: Rand some, yeah, yeah, oh yeah, that was a cool part. Um,
0: the fact that these two opposites, one so pro-violence and one so anti-violence, had the same origins, and then split is an interesting idea. It yes. makes a lot of sense when it's revealed, but you never made the connection before.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah, I I agree. And for all my... <laughs> yeah, Sandra, you'll notice my, my venting stopped, like when I got about halfway through and I was like, okay, I'm fine now. I don't need to unload all that on my friends.
2: It's almost like TMI, like being it's in like, his head. It's almost like oh, TMI. Yes, it's yes. Like I don't need to know.
0: Yes, this.
1: totally. 100%. Yeah. Yes. That's why the Dragon Reborn, the way they used Ran was great because it's like when you see... It's interesting because if you see him externally, you start to buy why yes. other people are treating him that way. And then you're like, oh, yeah. I buy this character. This is great. Like he's out there doing these epic things. Of course, when I'm in the shoes of, let's say, I mean, who was like watching, like Moraine even, uh, like watching him uh, like wield Calendor and take on Forsaken and stuff like that. Then it's like, uh, this guy is epic and he's basically still like i don't know what he is now like a teenager or whatever but it's you would think he's so amazing of course but when you're in his head yeah tmi is a great way yeah. to put it. it, really, it really I need is. To know. yeah 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 <laughs> and are we doing avienda dirty by the way i kind of wanted to bring avienda i know it's like i know they,
0: we've got avienda and matt uh, a few other characters but yeah, yeah let,
1: let's do a quick avienda reaction <laughs> so, because out, I, Sandra, I saw, I think this is in your Instagram post that Avienda stuck out to you. Oh. The second
2: time, yeah. The first time I didn't really care for her all that much. I just didn't really understand where all of the animosity was coming from but i don't know it might be more of like a romantic tension coming through between her and rand mm-hmm. and i was kind of getting like a little bit of tension between tom and moraine Ma- also like mm-hmm. the second read through so i don't know Ooh. it's
1: interesting,
2: interesting to see
1: that is interest charles <laughs> <laughs> The <laughs> like, i can't you know, say you know <laughs> <laughs> i don't so i'd say is no, interesting. it's like we never
2: <laughs> yeah well, we never got any of that, you yeah. know, background on more Ma- Maureen at all. She's just been this huge mystery and it was kind of refreshing to see her open up to the other women a little bit about that.
1: For sure. She dropped that line and it in a class it was classic I Sedai. I- language. It was something like uh, she said to Elaine and Gwaine, like, I guarantee I know the face of my future husband more than you know the face of who you're going to marry. And it was one of those, like, I stopped and I was like, wait, what does that mean? (laughs) (laughs) And I was kind of like, Because it has to be the truth as far... Like, at least I take that at face value that Moraine is held to this. Like, it has to be the truth thing. And that's where RJ shines a lot is when he drops things like that and gets you asking these questions. The Mm -hmm. Tom thing makes a lot of sense. I never thought about that before, but I'll be watching out for that. And the Avienda thing, I feel the same way Mm as you, Sandra, with, like, I think she is like like every other character around Rand's age who's a girl or woman they are like they start getting feelings for Rand and Rand I think I think Avienda's wrapped up in all this Tavir and stuff but I think she wants to be Elaine's friend super badly and so she starts kind of projecting this like yeah she has these strong emotions happening and she like it's kind of a nice friend thing that she's trying really hard to project like her anger as like you should be with Elaine like you should be not like looking at these other women all this kind of stuff Mm
2: -hmm. yeah Mm -hmm. so
1: good good for Avienda for trying to be a good friend I love these moments when the the like Egwene and Elaine and Avienda and Min when she gets a chance get to like actually relate to each other as friends and I don't know. I think Avienda is trying to do that, and that sticks out for me.
2: Yeah, I also wonder because it is culturally like acceptable for that yield, yeah. know, the sister wives concept. So I, I wonder like how much of Avienda's apprehension about how she's feeling toward him is like mixed up in all of that.
1: Yeah, so, yeah. I, I don't I know. Didn't Think of that. No, that mm-hmm. makes total sense because it's like Avienda assuming that we're on the right track here. Avienda is basically thinking like she watched. Elaine want to fight the first of the May or Charles, you had the name earlier. Berylaine. Uh, uh, Berylaine, thank you. Um, it, like she watched and she was like seeing that Elaine was super jealous of Berylaine and then she was almost like, why don't you fight her with swords? And <laughs> Elaine was like, I don't know if that's the way I'm going to personally handle this. Uh, <laughs> Elaine's a little more tactful than that, but I think Avienda probably is coming from this like cultural perspective of like This would be so much easier if people were just like they are where I'm from. And like me and Elaine could be best buds while both being with Rand. So it's probably super, there's probably a lot going on for her internally. And I think she might be one of those characters that- I assume we'll get her point of view some point in this 14 book series. That'd be really cool. And yeah. I'm excited for that, yeah. Yeah, you know, Abby,
0: she's you get you start to learn more about the Aeel, and there's a lot of interesting perspectives there about this idea of honor and violence versus non-violence and and how that is pulling at her between uh, her duty to her people and her friendship with Elaine and like, yeah, that's all very uh, interesting. And yeah, it it stands out, especially like when you compare it to these moments, like you touched Dylan on that barrelane and Elaine when they came at each other. Yeah. I was not a fan of that scene at well, all where they were. I think
1: that was <laughs> Fahil. Did they oh. have a moment, Elaine and... Yeah, because then that, then
0: that general came out and, like, disciplined them both and, like, sent Berylaine yeah, yeah. off.
1: Was okay. that Berylaine
0: and Elaine? I think I, it
1: was Fail, but I could be wrong. Uh, I could be wrong. I just remember we'll this this random
0: general coming up and being like disciplining them all. I'm like, who is this guy? And you how come he gets to, <laughs> like, like he like embarrasses them both and like like mm. sends them off to their rooms? Was the vibe? I was like, eh, this is a weird, this yeah. is a weird scene. Not a fan. And that I feel like that's kind of why I don't re- like almost forgot to talk about Vail because she so falls into this thing we got so oh, many yeah. times in this book of just the. I hate to say this like the catty female trope of like, oh now she's bothering yeah. Rand. Oh, or, yeah. Like everyone's and then like Vail's bothering Perrin and like by v- and Vail's bothering Rand or or um And
2: ma- and she was manipulating Loyal and but I, there was like one scene. I guess I didn't really like get it the first time I read it, but when she like hit Perrin across the face, like full arm. Yeah. like into yeah. it and yeah. i was just like why she does that like multiple times
0: the parent. parents are like don't do yeah. that again and it's like yeah. oh, oh it's but so
2: i feel i feel like this is going to be their relationship dynamic though
0: i think they're kind of into yeah. it
1: i think yeah oh, <laughs> maybe i think rj's into it but... yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah there's... i mean yeah i think it's just going to I think RJ wanted, with all these characters that are like young and teenagers and working out these like love triangle or hexagon situations, I think that RJ, I bet where he's going is he, like he's, I think at the time too, was married when he was writing this. And he was kind of like, I want to explore what relationship dynamics are like when you're actually married already, because that's its own thing. And I have a feeling that it'll be a lot like whatever his marriage happened to be like. Um, so we'll see where that ends up going, because I, I have no idea as a first wheel of time. And I don't know anything about RJ's marriage besides that I think his wife was his editor and mm-hmm. he based characters on her. I think that is... <laughs> What i've heard i could be wrong
0: <laughs> well i know that we are coming close to time there's just so many things that happen in this book There's the book is oh my it's gosh super yeah. long yeah i just wanted to turn it back to you guys make sure is there anyone that we definitely want to make sure we talk about before we wrap it up here
2: i mean i have to ask dylan so loyal
1: <laughs> oh boy nay, nay? <laughs> So here's the thing about Loyal is like, if you listen <laughs> to the go. first, Here yeah, and you, you, I know you have, so I know you have, you, so did you it, it's <laughs> like the first eye of the world recording and things like that is like the loyal thing has always been a meme. And I say, I say that in the eye of the world, uh, episode, uh, for everyone listening now who thinks I'm like this, and it sucks because people think I'm like, mean to this like poor unproblematic hey character <laughs> yeah. and I leaned into it for longer than was probably good for anyone <laughs> including myself so I'm kind of and especially he did bother me uh, like he did bother me because he felt like he slowed the story down and then told everyone not to be hasty over and over again and I kind of exaggerate it for memeing purposes and I think this book, as and just the amount of loyal talk that goes on at, at, on social media now, has me like reflecting a little bit more on loyal <laughs> and at my position on loyal. And I've reached a point, especially because he did a lot of stuff in this book. He, he was out there at the end, he had fighting. A- yeah. 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 He in closed the a way
0: gate. He saved that guy by running the whole time, oh, and yeah. carrying him.
2: Like, yeah, yeah. 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 He has 50 Trollocs chasing them in a, yeah.
1: He was out there. And I think my issue with Loyal, though it was exaggerated, it existed. And it was this like, you don't do anything. And this book, ha- you don't do anything and you yell at other people for doing things and call them hasty. So that was my issue. And this book, he's out there doing things and being a hero, actually. Like he's, he and Fail, not our favorite character, but says, like, hey, loyal saved someone in that giant trolloc fight at the way beginning of the book and he's a hero like let's start treating this guy like a hero and he's super humble about the great deeds he actually accomplished in this book so i actually think loyal is coming into his own and i think i'm kind of uh you know yeah. publicly <laughs> going to uh, like shift gears on my loyal narrative uh, and yeah. it starts right now <laughs> which is loyal has grown as a character and I actually enjoyed him in this book so wow. that's where I'm at and thank you for asking Sandra I, I appreciate it <laughs>
2: Had to know.
1: Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I,
0: I think one other character we need to quickly bring up because like you said, Dylan, he's dominated our Twitter poll for best character between sure. the three of them. And that's Matt. And Matt does go through some interesting development here. <laughs> Sandra, I was wondering what you thought of Matt's like plot points in this story and like how Matt ranks for you against all these other Taviran characters.
2: I mean, he's he's up there for me. He's a wild card. I'm always looking forward to what he does. I think before, like previously, I've likened him to being the quote, you know, dumb guy in horror movies. He does like <laughs> yeah. the exact opposite thing that he should, but it always leads to something interesting. So when he goes through the doorway and and asks the questions from the snake people,
0: yeah, yeah, like
2: the, that was an interesting scene to me. But then later in the book, when he goes through the doorway again in Rudon. Mm -hmm. i mean he's just he just approaches everything without thinking it through (laughs) he just jumps
1: and i think that in another book and that horror movie thing when i first heard you say that in one of the videos i was like that I would not have thought of that, but that's it with Matt. <laughs> and I think in the horror movie, you're kind of like screaming because you know what's happening and you're like, you're going to die for this. But I think in yeah. Wheel of Time, why he appeals so much, and he appeals to me too, oh, is this like, no one else is doing that, and they're not taking risks wh- and they're being reluctant when, honestly, we would have a lot more cool things happening if you just... Do, take the risk, just go for it. Yeah. Blow the horn. Yes. And yeah. I think it's like Matt, you know, he's basically like told, don't go into that twisted redstone doorframe. He's like, I would never do that unless my life <laughs> depended on it. And then he finds <laughs> it and he's like, nice doing it (laughs) and I really appreciate that and you get these kind of these are I think some shining moments for RJ is when he goes kind of surreal and dreamscapey and all that kind of stuff and we get these really interesting moments of Matt interacting with those like creatures in this totally different dimension I'm like that had me like tuned in Mm -hmm. and I and I'll say, Sandra. The one of the things I I thought you might appreciate uh, those moments too, because uh, you know one of the times when I was like, sh- yeah, she gets it when I was watching her real time stuff was when you brought up Mister Nobody in the Great Hunt, uh, which is something that uh, major I
2: major vibes, yeah. yeah.
1: Yeah, and I was like, so I figured you might appreciate the like at least the way Matt takes the risks that put him into these like surreal, interesting places that other people would be like, I'm not gonna go through that doorway. I'm a shepherd.
2: Yeah, (laughs) no, I'm I'm all for that, and anything more the portal stones or you know even the way gates, just all how sinister and creepy that is. Like all of those scenes, love them, beat them up.
0: Yeah, I I for me Matt is a one of my favorite characters to read because out of all the characters i think matt is the one that validates my reading experience the most <laughs> like he's the first one to be like well let's just do this let's just go or he's the first one to be like forget you guys like this is insane i'm out of here or like isn't it just more fun to like gamble and take the lord's money and hang out for a while and like you know, i was like, i don't want to go back to the two rivers that place sucked like there was That's nothing so great lame. about herding Not sheep like lame. what am i going to do go farm and her cheat my whole life the city's awesome and it's like what more rain who cares that she could throw fireballs i want nothing to do with her so yeah. all those op- opinions like he's the only character having those opinions and doing anything about it and like living his own life in this world yeah. where no one is doing that and i'm like thank you so much matt for yeah. for living yeah. your life and doing what you want to do i appreciate that so much and yeah he he, he just handles it Yeah, you know he, he's Funny too. He seems to be a lot of the comic relief. I love like even at the end where Rand is giving his speech and he's like patting the saddle like we could still get away. We can still like it's like (laughs) we should get out of here. Like this is could turn on us. Like the idea of him willing to just run a like escape with Rand from this whole thing like he's still willing to do that after all of this like Rand is committed and isn't even tempted by it but Matt is still like hey we could like s- slum it in the city and I can gamble and make us some money we don't have to like try and convince all of the Iel to follow you in this moment so I always appreciated that about Matt and that's why I think he oh, yeah. sticks out as a fan favorite all those risks like you guys were saying and just the ability to have his own thoughts and opinions <laughs> and even if they're he's unpopular just, I mean, he's yeah, yeah he's yeah. willing to do his own thing oh, well guys we covered a lot of it is there anything else we uh should address before we call it a day oh. um, I mean, <laughs> probably but i don't know <laughs> yeah, this, right this it, like I-, I feel like we oh at least you co-
1: you didn't want elaine to be mvp We Charles, I could see it on your face when I brought it up. Who were you thinking? Most
0: improved, fine MVP. Uh, it might be controversial to give it to Nynaeve because she was barely in it, but I was very like, she did the most impressive thing to me. I mean, Um, yeah, Swan, too. That was was big,
2: yeah,
0: yeah. Swan did a really good job. MVP
1: for Swan, no,
0: no. I'm thinking either Nynaeve or. Perrin. I gotta give it to oh, Perrin. He had most of the fair. story. It's just such a Perrin book, yeah. and he owned it, and he filled the shoes big time. So I think Perrin MVP.
1: Yeah, I'll still go Elaine for my personal. Oh, no I think way. Perrin's a fair take. <laughs> yeah. Sandra, who's your favorite?
2: Fine, fine. I'll take Nynaeve, because oh, I just oh, have the concept of, of being able to control you know men who can channel the power i yeah. think the fact that she was able to get the collar and bracelets and stuff i'm really interested to see where that goes so that
1: yeah i've really always loved probably it. best moment too
0: oh best moment probably yeah yeah, mm. yeah, I, yeah. I just appreciate when she's proactive she's like one of the most proactive characters yeah. and and she can uh, i just appreciate that from nine Eve. it's true all right well Thank you everyone for listening. Sandra, thank you so much for for being on and for taking time out of your day to reread this massive tome of a book and for coming (laughs) on and putting up with all our shenanigans. Thank you so much. And we really appreciate it. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah.
2: Always, always down to dork out about (laughs) fantasy. So thank you guys so much for inviting me.
0: Our pleasure and guys be sure to Definitely. follow Sandra Gibbons over on Twitter at Sandra Gibbons and follow her on YouTube as well. She's going through all of the subscribe. wheel of time and subscribe, yes, subscribe That's on what YouTube. They say. You're right, right. We're not big, uh, <laughs> we are not active on YouTube. <laughs> we watch, so, we yeah. <laughs>
1: Yes, we pay attention to the booktubers, but uh, we we have not booktubed ourselves <laughs> yeah. very much at all, actually.
0: But definitely go ch- uh, check Sandra out. She's got a, she's already talked about a lot of the early Wheel of Time books, so you definitely go listen to those and if you like fantasy there's a lot to take in over there. So again Sandra, thank you for being here.
2: Thank you guys.
0: Yes. <laughs> All right, bye this everybody. Is so much fun Sandra. Right. Thank you so much. Yes. <laughs> thank you and goodbye take everybody. Care. Thank you. Bye. 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 <laughs> thank you everyone for listening to yet another very exciting episode of the Friends Talking Fantasy Podcast thank you so much to Sandra Gibbons for her time today, for talking Wheel of Time with us, we appreciated it so much, we hope to work with her again in the very near future, so go to YouTube uh, yes. follow, uh, subscribe on YouTube, to, <laughs> I'm not now used that. to that uh, to, no. uh, to, to Sandra Gibbons, so do that and then after <laughs> you've done that go on to Twitter and then you can also follow Sandra Gibbons at Sandra Gibbons and then after that Follow Friends Talking Fantasy Podcast at the FTF Podcast with the number one at the end, and then on Instagram and Facebook at the FTF Podcast. And you can always send us an email at the FTFpodcast at gmail.com. Now Dylan, if they've listened to the show, they've subscribed and followed to Sandra, and now they want to do something else to support Friends Talking Fantasy, and they just so happen to be listening on Apple Podcasts, what can they do?
1: Toss five stars to our podcast. Just find that friends talking fantasy page on the Apple podcast app roll down past all those episodes until you start seeing stars once you're seeing stars the optimal number of those stars to click to support the show would be five of them if you have some extra time and you really the number one is go uh follow sandra on of course, twitter of course i on youtube because we're so grateful she came on and had a ton of fun but if you have even more time then you can write us a review that does help our show uh, help people find it and all that kind of stuff. Uh, So that's really appreciated when folks do that. But just listening is more than enough. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.
0: Just listening, guys. We really appreciate your time today. And as always, go forth and conquer, friends.